0: How are you getting on with the silence here? (laughs) There probably isn't one answer, is there? In different parts of the day it might appear differently to you. But what it offers is a... um, it lets us start to see more clearly what's going on in our mind, which doesn't, which sounds nice probably before we get here until we have to sit with our own mind and see exactly what's going on, on in it. And not only that, it's not only... That's not the only part of the territory, but in the beginning that can be a lot of what we see, the kind of um, stuff of our mind, the content, the bits that get kicked up and stirred about, our reactivity, our wanting this, not wanting that, confused about this, having a go about that, judging myself for this, judging them for that. And all the various circuits and places that our mind can go, <clears throat> some of which aren't. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really want a kind of amplification and speech bubble above our head while we're sitting so that everyone in here could look. I wonder what's, I wonder what's showing up in their mind, right? And if you don't think I'm talking about you, and that's nothing like the content of your mind, if it's all like, you know, roses coming out of your speech bubbles, then very good. But really the silence can reveal just just what's going on. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy to see it and to skillfully work with it and to... Um, have faith actually that this is part of the process in a way only when we get thoroughly disillusioned with our own mind actually meaning not so bound in the illusion that it tells us gives us a clear accurate reading of reality which is what we tend to believe right it comes up with something and we think that's, that's the truth it says oh you're no good at this why did you ever come? Th- what did you think? What were you thinking when you booked to come here? The kind of way we can get down on ourselves. And that pattern's probably been run thousands of times in our mind if we have that one, which many of us do. And we believe it looks like the truth because it's coming out of our mind. How would it be to be able <clears throat> to take refuge in a wakefulness? A bright open, clear seeing of the contents of your mind without believing that they define you in any way or define anybody else. They're programs. They're programs that have been clicked on quite a few times and display again and again and again. How would it be to have that kind of disillusion where we're not under the spell of whatever our programs happen to be. The judging ourselves program, the judging the world program, the I'm better than everybody else here program. Oops, I'm not really, now I'm probably the worst one here program. Right? Whatever programs we have got going. Or if I just strive a bit harder, push a bit further, tighten up a little bit more, then I'll get my goal program. Or the Ah, who cares, program. And a million other little titles we could give. What would it be like to rest back into the seeing of all of this without being stuck to it, without grasping to it, without spinning more wheels in it. Like the image is given of water birds, you know, like uh, a number of water birds actually, when they both kind of come in from flight and land on the water, like a pond, let's say, or a lake, they kind of land like that and there's all that ripple in the water, right? And then it just... It leaves no trace. That's the expression that's giving, like water birds. And then they take off again. And there's all that fluster and the water moves, but there's nothing left in the water. It doesn't stick. It returns into the condition of the lake immediately. Breathing out, this is possible for us as we practice these arts. But initially what we see can be a lot of content. When the Buddha described freedom, one of the things he said about it was the heart-mind which in the traditional language is the chitta, the heart-mind... How does it go? Okay, let me start it this way around. Normally our heart-mind sticks to things, right? Or things arise and we're stuck to them. We're bonded, like glued on to thoughts, feelings, sensations. And he described freedom as the heart-mind free from that glue, free from stickiness, where um, the chitta, the heart-mind, without having to glue to something in order to know itself and be at rest. This is where we're... Pointing, this is what we're heading towards. Recognizing, cleverly recognizing that we have anyway the tendency to bond to something. What are some of the things you stuck to today? Anybody not stuck to any thoughts today? <laughs> right? That the thought arises, that's okay, it arises actually from the perspective of practice, When there's an openness and awareness and a steadiness of presence, sometimes thoughts arise and they can be free to self-liberate. When we don't interfere, they don't have to mean something. They can be just like a kind of emptying out at times. But that's not usually that straightforward because there's a thought we've had a million times before, especially something like, oh, you're rubbish at this, right? And it looks like the truth, so given that there is a tendency to want to stick to something, this is a very deep tendency of ours to want to bond, to want to attach to something, to kind of centre ourselves around. Have you ever had that experience when a thought, even a ghastly thought, arises and you start going around it again and again, kind of taking another bite out of it, chewing it? It's like, yeah, it must be true, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I did say it like that, I was bad. Yeah, there's evidence, further evidence of my wrongness, for example. Knowing that we have that tendency, we need something to lean on, it seems, until we don't anymore, until complete freedom. The Buddha said, lean on, center around, orient around skillful things rather than these kind of random programs that arise of your thoughts and feelings. Center and orient and bond to something skillful that will help you settle that will help you stabilize, that will help you firm up and be supported and lead onward toward freedom. So he didn't say immediately, just take your hands off everything and just be free. Just rest in this open, awake, liberated mind. He could have said that. And usefully, sometimes teachings point to that because that's already here. That is our birthright. That is our nature. But skillfully, he said, look, lean on some practices, ethics. um, In terms of retreat practice, it will be the forms and the schedule and the, the program, the meditative practices, the willingness to come take your seat, orient behind an intention for mindfulness. Lean on these things, and he named many others. Lean on these things because these will help you let go. They in themselves are not things to reify, to uh, put on a pedestal. They're skillful programs. Skillful programs that we run in order to stabilize, see more clearly and the letting go can happen. The trust deepens and the letting go can happen. So two of the ones we've been looking at today are the mindfulness of body, and the mindfulness of body breathing, right? Center around these, like orient your mind towards this and see if it is for your welfare or not. As we do this, we start to see the process of spinning the mind more clearly. You know, like a spinning top. It's like, without knowing it, remember those spinning tops? Do kids still have those? Those things. I haven't seen one for years. You kind of do that and they, they start spinning. Unbeknownst to ourselves. we keep kind of doing that and spinning the same view of reality again and again. By orienting to mindfulness of body and breathing, we start to see this. We start to see the ways we spin more vividly, actually, more painfully clear. You know, we might think, gosh, I was more sane yesterday before I came to Guy House. Now I just see how crazy the mind can be at times. So what are some of the ways you've seen your mind spin today? Where has it gone? What kinds of spins do you get into? Are they future-oriented spins? Past-oriented spins? Present-moment-oriented spins? Thinking about the present is not more spiritual. <laughs> it's still thinking about. Right? Where do you tend to spin? What stories do you weave? What webs or well, the metaphor the Buddha gives? He says it's like a thicket this great word of trees when they're kind of planted really close together, s- young trees. <coughs> like we're in a thicket. <coughs> I have a story for you of, I mean, an example of where it can go because here we might see small versions of it. We, we might see that we start to fantasize about the future, something better, some better conditions than these. Anybody had one of those? It may be a very gross version of it, like, <coughs> you know, we're imagining we're on a beach in somewhere hot. You know, it takes us ten minutes before we go, oops, I'm here at Guy House, and there I was sunning myself with a cocktail and... Or it may be a more subtle version of just wanting something that's not here, like a better state, a better mind state. We looked at it in the Q&A today. I want peace, right? And I'm kind of start to spin a story of what that will look like when I'm a peaceful, fully enlightened one. But we're not here. But we're not here. This is a story of where it can go and where it did go for this particular person. True story. And while on the one hand, well, you'll see for yourself, but it's sort of humorous because we see what the human mind does that we could, that there but for the grace of, well, maybe we have been somewhere like this. You know, the mind can get us into sticky places, right? Probably we all know that. Probably all know that. This is the story of Larry who wanted to fly, Um, Ever since he was a child, Larry had wanted to fly, and he had the thought, I want to fly, again and again, and he decided to become a pilot. When he was old enough, he joined the Air Force, but sadly his eyesight wasn't 20-20, so he couldn't be a pilot. He became a mechanic working on the planes, but always wanted to fly. He still said, I want to fly, I want to fly, he would think. Then one day Larry had an idea. He went to the army surplus store and bought some large weather balloons and a tank of helium. He tied the balloons to his deck chair and the chair to his jeep. Then he inflated the balloons with helium. He made a packed lunch and bought himself an air rifle. His plan was to float 30 to 40 feet up above his garden and shoot the balloons one by one when he wanted to come down. He strapped himself to the chair and cut the rope, uh, tying the chair to his jeep. Yeah, sorry, cut the rope, tying his chair to the jeep. He began to rise, but after 30 meters, he didn't stop. He kept rising. Oh, sorry, it's been changed to feet. (laughs) 100 feet, 1,000 feet, 5,000 feet, and he didn't stop till he was over 10,000 feet, It was cold, and he was so frightened to shoot any of the balloons. He was so high up, and his packed lunch began to freeze. He began to drift around and eventually drifted into Los Angeles Air Force Base airspace and was picked up on the radar as a UFO. They sent a fighter up to check it out, and the pilot reported seeing a man in a deck chair armed with a rifle at 10,000 feet. After determining that Larry was not dangerous, a helicopter was set up to rescue him. When he was brought down safely, he was arrested for violating federal airspace. Right. The mind can go all kinds of places. right? Sometimes we act them out. And probably you all know that in your life, sometimes even wondering. I remember having the thought sometimes, you know, in a sticky predicament, like, how did I end up here? even daring sometimes to have the thought like, how did a nice girl like me end up in a place like this? Mm-hmm. You know? All stories really, but the mind precedes action. Right? The thoughts precede the action and the action follows. So the Buddha said, take care, take care of the mind um, and let your actions spring as much as you're able from thoughts of kindness. Right? If we're going to take action. So does it make sense that part of un, of seeing that we want something to kind of center around, we want something to orient ourselves around and rather than the normal things, our views, our opinions, our roles and our identities, right? What's the extent to which you've centered around your job, let's say? You know, that's who I am, right? that then we'll know how much we're attached to it when we come somewhere like this and it's not here. No one wants us to do that thing. And we feel a bit lost. We feel a bit bereft. We're like, ooh, where am I? Where do I center when I'm not in my normal inner routine and outer routine? Religions, churches, practices, going to the gym. There are different things that we center around. And knowing that we have this tendency and need Let's use skillful things, right? Let's use things that help us release. It's an interesting one. One of the ways the mind spins. Have any of you seen it today? Is to try and evaluate where you are and how you're doing. Like, am I doing okay? Am I getting this right? Is this going somewhere? Is it not going somewhere? We want to kind of know where we are in relationship to something. Like, is this good for me? Is it not good for me? Right? We want to evaluate ourselves. We want to give ourselves some value based on where we think we are. So am I succeeding? And then we feel great. We have a nice meditation. We have three breaths in a row and... We even have a little glimmer of what it's like to settle like snow, and we think, great, I'm doing really well. All right? And feel kind of happy about that. A couple of minutes later, body hurts, mind hurts. Find ourselves full of agitation. Open our eyes, everybody looks lovely and serene apart from me. We devaluate ourselves based on where we think we are, not recognizing that there's a process. There's a number of things in flux moving through awareness and we're trying to evaluate ourselves. We're trying to say, where am I in all of this? And the practice actually gives us a different way of doing that. We step out of the comparing of the the mind and we start to know where we are through mindfulness of body. This locus of arms and legs and torso and backside and belly, this starts to let us know where we are. Rather than where I am, am I in relation to everyone? Am I better than, worse than, the same as? We start to know where we are because mindfulness of body, as we cultivate it over time, has a sense of here ness to it. I am here, here. Mindfulness of breathing. So within that here ness of the body, we start to tune to the breathing. This also starts to give us something that is stable, that is calming, that is much more um, reliable to center around than the kind of jagged or jumpy or stale old patterns of the mind. So let's look a little bit at mindfulness of body. This is what the Buddha called the first foundation of mindfulness, a place to cultivate um, attentiveness this here and now experience of body how's it going how's it going are you getting a sense at all for in fact right now why don't you take a moment just to feel your bum on the seat right mindfulness of body is not something glamorous or um, kind of fireworksy. it's very basic He says, no body as body, K-N-O-W, no body as body. What does that mean? Right now, not earlier today or tomorrow, what does it mean right now to know body as body? What lets you know you have a body right now, apart from looking at it, from the inside? In fact, why don't you call out any responses? From the inside, what lets you know you have a body right now? Anybody? Contact Contact with the seat. Okay. What does the contact feel like? Is it heavy? Is it hard? Is it soft? secure. Secure. Okay. Has some stability to it. Anybody else? Right now, how do you know you have a body right now? Chilly, okay, so temperature is another way we know we have a body, right? Was, there was another response. Tension, yeah, tension and pain and discomfort a big way. In fact, it's often the way most of us actually wake up to the fact we have a body. It kind of calls, the body calls either in gripping or pain or discomfort in some way. Yeah, so sensation. Anything else? How do you know you have a body right now? Sounds like such a daft question, doesn't it, in a way, to the, to the mind. But the, he's saying, come into the direct experience, not what your mind mediates and kind of thinks about. Anyone else? Warmth. Warmth, yes. So temperature, coolness, warmth, that whole spectrum lets us know very much we have a body. And when it's not just right, we always want to adjust. right? I always found this instruction rather disconcerting because it was utterly un... It it, it doesn't have much kind of food in it for the self, for the sense of self, right? It's just very basic. It's hard, it's soft, it's tense, it's light, it's hot, it's cold, it's spacious, it's not spacious. It's very, very basic. And he says, know this as it is. Not your ideas about it, but through the direct experience. Come to know this. This will be your foundation for insight and freedom. But it takes time for most of us to come into this kind of knowing of body. Sometimes when we're invited to sense the body, we may not feel very much at all, or may not sense very much at all. And there's many reasons for that. You know, some of us have had a preference for um, cognition or we've done very well through being very bright, let's say, or we haven't done very well with cognition but we desperately think we have to come up here to try and say the right thing or have the right view or, and we can find ourselves living in a little gallery up here and missing this whole experience of body. For others of us, or to different degrees for most of us, there will be ways that this body has been a, a place that hasn't always felt safe. So we've retreated up into our head, or sometimes out of our body, right? It felt like it wasn't safe enough at times in our life to breathe out and go, ah, Here I am. Whether it's from accidents or trauma or violence or too much impingement on the body or just simply that that experience where we can rest back and have the privilege to know what it's like to be held in trust. That maybe we feel like we could use a bit more of that. So it's sometimes hard for some of us when people give instructions like relax into the sense of your body. For some of you that might be really available. For some of us it takes time, takes a journey of practice. I remember doing this kind of um, work uh, in the beginning of my practice and for for a not good number of years actually where the teacher would say, come into the sense of your body or... We would be doing movements like we did today, practices. And it wasn't possible for me to sense very much of my body, but I couldn't. I didn't know that. All I knew what was in my mind, which was, I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. That's usually a flag for something's going on that's hard to bear, here and now. It can spin its stories about what's wrong, Out there, or what's wrong with me? But neither are the truth. From the Buddha's perspective, he said, "This is his way in." We talked about it in the Q and A today. The Four Noble Truths. He said, "Yes, there is suffering. That's the first truth. The second truth: there is a cause for suffering, which is clinging." The third truth, there is an end of suffering. And the fourth truth, there is a way to the end. When we encounter, when we see, let's say I see the bit going, I hate this, why do we have to do this? Why don't they ring the bell? Hurry up, let's go to lunch. Or whatever it is that the mind's coming up with. At a certain point we've seen that enough times we go, okay, what's going on here? Oh, there's something hard to bear in this moment. Can I acknowledge this? That's not wrong that there's something hard to bear. Something hard to bear is kind of equivalent to um, the doorway that the Buddha is pointing to as the way in when we can no longer have to just spin the story of what's wrong but can come into contact, breathe with it, sense it, no longer pushing and pulling and railing and thrashing, This very hard to bear can be our most intimate doorway into something that we've never seen before. And this is both a humbling and exalting art. So by that I mean on a practical level it could be Oh, here's my mind reacting to what's happening. The story, the proliferating mind is saying, hurry up, ring the bell, let's go to lunch. I wish I was at home. Can't wait till Tuesday. Ah, okay, there's a flag that's something hard to bear in this moment. What is it? Oh, I feel really sad right now. I don't know how to relax in my body. Breathing with the sadness. Not, not having to pick up the story. It may come, but not having to pick up the story of the past, although parts of it might filter through, and that's okay. But sensing the sadness in the body, maybe feeling it in the heart center, breathing with it, softening around it, welcoming it, bowing before it, saying, yes, you are here, you are the guest right now. Can I learn to meet you with mindfulness and kindness? Or it might be what's hard to bear right now is my body hurts. It's like rigid with tension right now. And my mind is fantasizing about having a sauna, having a massage, having a something, something, something or other. I know how to get rid of this tension. I just have to do, you know, 20 press-ups and have a glass of whiskey and then I'll be all right, whatever it is. There's the fantasy. Can we see the fantasy to something lovely is also taking us away? Oh, what is it right now that's hard to bear? Ah, wow, it's like I've got steel around my shoulders. Ooh, can I breathe with that? Wow, it goes right down past my shoulder blade. And it actually feels like it's on my heart as well. Wow, steel, can I breathe with the steel? And starting to come close to this intimacy of the doorway of the thing we think shouldn't be happening, but it is happening. It asks us to meet it with courage and trust actually that this is our this is our particular window in this moment that we keep overlooking in search of something better, in search of becoming someone else, in search of another experience. Some of you know this, but in one of the James Joyce books, Irish author, he has a character called Mr Duffy and it says, Mr Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Because right. it's not always easy to inhabit these, these animals that we are. Because they are sensitive. Even if we've had all the best conditions in the world all the way through, we are still subject to being impinged upon, to someone treading on our toe, to getting sick, to death. And mindfulness of body, when the Buddha speaks about it, he says, there are these advantages to practicing mindfulness of body. What are these advantages? And he lists the advantages. And he, one of them is the reduction of fear, actually. A lot of our fear around body, of, of it's just that it's not in our control. It belongs to the nature of things, like the trees and the flowers, And it's a little disconcerting to the one who likes to be in control. And there can be a lot of fear around that. And actually re-inhabiting coming back in over time for many of us into that simple knowing of body as body. the, The fear around having a body can reduce significantly. And some of our fear we don't know what it's about, some of our anxiety, but human bodies part of uh, having a human body is part of many of our our patterns of anxiety check it out see if that feels true for you and sometimes when we're sitting here and we're in pain and we can't feel relaxed and we don't know how to do the movement or we're tired of the movement or we're fed up with the movement or we want something else sometimes I can't I got so excited with that sentence, I don't know where it's going now. <laughs> I kind of did such a little proliferation around the front of it, that it's, it's kind of petered out on its own. Oh well. Happens like that. They're not in control of the mind either. <laughs> We're not in control of this body. We'll get to more to the mental part, but this isn't ours either, right? It... Comes up sometimes with ideas and sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. This really, the wise relationship with body, the wise relationship with mind is where the hands come off, we can leave ourselves alone and we can rest. We don't have to be dependent on our performance, we don't have to be dependent on what shows up internally. We don't have to be dependent on what shows up externally. This is what's being pointed to. Other advantages of mindfulness of body, so especially if it's new for you and it's just something you're beginning to cultivate. It's um, Brad mentioned actually as a support for sensitivity of the heart, that's one piece he spoke about earlier. Another is um, it helps everything slow down. The mind is so fast, have you noticed? It, in a flash, it's moved into a scenario, fantasy, paranoia, wherever it goes. It happens in a flash coming into mindfulness of body mediates and slows down that process. So it supports the sensitivity of heart, but it also supports the speed of the mind, gives us a bigger field to explore in. One time some years ago when I was having a really difficult time in my practice and I was so sick of my experience. And... um, I said to my teacher, I've had enough. I don't think I want to do this anymore, quite seriously. I don't think I, I can't stand it. I can't stand this body and all, all it's coming up with right now, at that particular time. And he said, you know, this practice is seven to nine times more difficult without a body. <laughs> I said, wow, how do you know that? (laughs) Can you imagine trying to do this, what you're doing at the moment with no body there? Can you imagine if you were just this faculty that was dull or spaced out or spinning or... Can you imagine? It would be much worse. It would be much worse that actually having the body here, it's very hard when we're in that beginning phase for some of us of learning how to re-inhabit all right, we don't have much space here yet. Keep hanging in there. It will come. Do the work. It will come. It softens and opens up and digests some of that old resistance and armor. It is a path of practice. We don't have to be there already. But yes, it mediates that mental content, gives us more room, makes it more possible, more sane, actually. And also the mindfulness of body, again, many, many advantages. Another is our life. We, some people, have very, very deep insights about life, but find there's a big gap between knowing something and being able to live it, being able to act in that way. And that's uh, a big part of that is the lack of access to our body and the integration of the um, body. It helps us walk our talk, so to speak, or live what we know to be most true or follow what we believe in most um, dearly, actually. So don't give up on the body just yet. It will give up on us in time. <laughs> I want to offer you one teaching from a um, a Burmese teacher who's... Actually will be coming here in... 2015 all being well and it's a very simple teaching but he's just very clear about emphasizing this as the primary orientation in the meditation and it's basically to examine in any moment our attitude to what is going on and I'll give the little teaching in a moment one thing the Buddha said was that fools seek for experience Fools seek to have the right kind of experience. The wise seek to understand it. The worldly mind wants to get the right kind of thing together, right? We want the right outer conditions and then the spiritual worldly mind wants the right inner conditions, right? We want the right thing. We want the right amount of joy the right amount of ease right that's a trap of course we want transformation and of course we want ease and peace but the means to that ends is a very radical shift from trying to get the right experience to actually examining what is my attitude to the experience in this moment And he puts it this way, in any moment, are you doing one of these three things? What are these three things? Number one, are you wanting something to happen that is not happening? That's called greed, (laughs) right? Are you wanting something in this moment that isn't here and isn't happening? because think about it what we're doing in that moment is making an image of something in the pre- in the future that's not quite here that will complete me that will satisfy me and thereby in doing that we reject where we are we lose our contact with our here ness which is our doorway to our depth number 2 are you not wanting something to be happening that is happening has that happened at all today? <laughs> whether it's pain in your body, whether it's an ache in your heart, whether it's porridge. I don't want porridge to be happening. You know why I want French toast for breakfast? Right? Are we wanting something to be happening that is not happening? This is called aversion. Aversion. These are the kind of classic ways that we, in the, in the Buddhist model, and it's, it's a model, it's a map, a way of looking at the human predicament of where we start getting caught. Are you wanting something to stop happening that is actually happening? Or number three, are you in this moment not sure or not knowing if something is happening or not happening? Right, you know, we're a little bit vague, we're not clear, we're, we've kind of gone to sleep on the show. Are you not knowing if something is happening or not happening right now? And that's it. That's the whole practice and sort of various nuances of that. From the perspective of awareness where we started out this morning, that which sees what is happening It sees sensation as sensation. It sees tension as tension. It sees pleasure as pleasure. It sees love in the heart as love in the heart. Pain in the heart as pain in the heart. It sees thoughts and images without bonding to them. From the perspective of awareness, it's all right what's happening right now. But as we lean out from that, we have ideas that something else should be happening. Not this. This cannot be the doorway. This cannot be my most sacred gift into the depth that I seek. We don't believe it. We don't trust it. We are so oriented to want something else or to reject what's here. And every time we reject what's here, it's like we're kind of bruising ourselves. You can feel it sometimes. When we're rejecting our experience, it's like, Shutting doors on ourselves, slamming doors in our face, squeezing down on our body and hurting ourselves. Or when we're striving for a better experience, it's also like bruising. It's like we kind of squeeze ourselves to try and squeeze into a better shape and a better thing that's going to come a little bit later. What would happen if you left that alone? And what would happen if you noticed when you were doing it, as people were today, it's like, oh, there I am, I'm trying to make something else happen. From the perspective of awareness, there is enough room for you to be exactly as you are right now. In our various stages of openness and closeness, of expansion and contraction, Of the most beautiful thoughts, or the most thought, the most kind of um, painful, contracted, distorted thoughts. Of feelings that are full of love and appreciation, or feelings that wish to annihilate, hurt, or destroy. Fools seek for the right experience, the wise seek to understand experience, to understand the nature of experience, that actually if I take my hands off it, there is an intelligent process that things will liberate, digest, free up, and free up more room for something new to come through. So this simple teaching, which can be a whole lifetime of examination, am I wanting something to be happening that's not happening? You know the way that happens? <laughs> In the sitting? Even, even, you know, it can be the big fantasy of the ice cream Sunday, or it can be the, oh, it will be better. I want qigong now. We've been sitting for 25 minutes. I want qigong. I want qigong. And it doesn't seem like suffering to want Qigong, does it? Right? But there's a way we're moving away from us. I want Qigong. And then the bell rings for the end of the sitting. And we get to Qigong. It's like, oh, it's qigong. Okay. Or, okay, I want, I want it to be sitting now. It's like we're wanting the next thing, wanting something that will that has some promise in it. But actually, if we hang around here long enough, we realize that the promise (laughs) is never fulfilled. Sometimes I would see in my mind something like, but can't we do something a bit more exciting? You know, then it would be, then I'd be happy. Can you just, you know, move a bit faster? Or couldn't we just, why don't we have a little movie break? You know, in the middle of the day and then we could liven up a bit and then we'd feel better and, One of the sort of sobering, uh, disillusioning factors is that we never get to that place where the promise is fulfilled and that's not a trick. The simplicity of the form here bumps us, makes us bump into the tendency to always think that there will be something else where I will finally be fulfilled and I will finally come to rest. When will I get to the good bit? as one of my teachers says. He says, that meditative thought, when will I get to the good bit? And he says, and then we wake up to that hungry mind that we don't get to the good bit. Not in the way that our mind is fantasizing it. The good bit is by taking our hands off that tendency to want to seek for something else somewhere else at some other time this is the path to what the buddha called the deathless he said mindfulness is the mindfulness is the path to the deathless to know that in which there is no coming and going no birth and death, where time and space are enfolded into this living, dynamic here ness. Practice in this way, and we can know this. He said, each one can know this for themselves, to be experienced by each one. He said, Ehi Pasico, come and have a look, come see for yourself. Check it out, see if it works this way. As we soften around the tendencies of the grasping, the aversion, and the confusion of not knowing what's happening. This whisper of this peaceful, deathless nature. We can hear it in the silence. And we can wake up to this for ourselves. together for a minute to finish. Male beings rest deeply on the earth. Male beings be released from fear. And male beings, no peace.